Um, let me open us in prayer, and then I have a couple um, announcements, and then, um, then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much um, for bringing us back together. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for your servant, Paul, through whom you um, wrote this letter, and I am grateful that you, Holy Spirit, have preserved this word for us down through the millennia. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would um, allow us to set aside anything that might be distracting us this morning. Would you allow us to focus on your word? And as we go into our small groups, would you knit our hearts together so that we might um, quickly um, feel fellowship as we... Um, choose to set our hearts and minds on this path of studying. I thank you and praise you that you choose to reveal yourself to us through your word. And I ask that you would challenge us and you would change us and you would correct us where necessary. And you would continue to mold and shape us into the women that you have called us to be. And that you would do so for your glory, Father. And we will be sure and certain to give you all the praise and honor due your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so again, just wanted to um, welcome you. And, um, and briefly, I guess this really isn't an announcement, but just briefly wanted to remind you of the structure of our study. So we will gather in here at 9.30 on Tuesday mornings, and, then, and we'll have teaching until a little bit before 10 usually, and then you'll have a little bit of time to grab some yummy food before you head to your small groups. And small groups is really where you're gonna dig in together. Um, this is where the hard work of um, engaging with the Word of God happens in community, and that is part of how we approach scripture, is that we do it in community. Um, I am blessed by what the Holy Spirit shows you as you study, and I, I trust that what I study will also be a blessing. And so it is as we study and bring that together in community that we truly are changed and transformed by the Word of God. Um, I think, I think um, Tammy asked me to make another announcement, and I am not quite certain what that was, so I apologize um, for that. I'm sure she'll get the news to us. Um, when she's ready. So um, today is just going to be a brief review of Romans, um, the first six chapters. And if you were with us last semester, you know that we finished in chapter six, and we will be starting next week into chapter seven. Um, but I thought since it's been two months since we have gathered to study Romans together, it would be good to remind ourselves of um, what we have studied and get us in, kind of into, um, get us back fit, ready to um, continue the journey into the rest of Romans. So um, I'm just going to start by reminding us a little bit of the background of Romans. Um, Romans, um, it tells us itself that it was written by Paul, um, and probably in year A.D. 57, um, he sent it to the Roman church, which actually was made up of a number of different house churches, um, and it was before um, Paul would have 
gotten to Rome himself. So he didn't know these house churches personally at this time. Um, so he sent a letter ahead hoping to prepare a way for him to get there so that he could then establish a base camp, basically, for further missionary work toward um, Western Europe, particularly Spain. Um, Romans, like I said, is a letter written by Paul, but we need to be careful as we consider um, our understanding of writing a letter and compare that to what would this this have been. Um, Paul probably would have written this in conjunction with several of his fellow um, workers, and they would have discussed and um, created kind of, I mean, if you look at Romans, it, it could be very easily compared to a thesis statement after a master's degree. Um, so this was not him sitting down one day and just writing off um, all of these great um, ideas. This was a process through which um, the Holy Spirit worked through Paul and, um, and his fellow workers. And um, at the end of Romans, we see that it was, it was actually written by hand by a gentleman named Tertius. Um, Tertius actually tells us that in Romans 16. And it was sent from Paul and his fellow laborers to Rome by a woman named Phoebe. He, um, the scroll would have been entrusted to Phoebe. Um, Phoebe, again, is listed in Romans 16 as well. She's um, said to be a benefactor of Paul. Um, she would have um, had the scroll, traveled with it, and then once she got to Rome, she would have presented this letter orally to the house churches. The house churches in Rome were, would have been made up of Gentile believers as well as um, Jewish believers. And it's likely, it's possible, that these house churches had been seeded from um, faithful Jewish people who had gone to Jerusalem the year that Jesus was uh, crucified. He died and was buried and then resurrected. And during that time, if you recall from the beginning of the book of Acts, um, when there were thousands of believers in Jerusalem for um, the holy festivals of Passover and Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit fell and, um, and the church was birthed, these thousands of believers were from all over the known world. And it's possible that some of those believers actually were from Rome and had made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and then had taken the good news of the Messiah having come back to Rome and, um, and, then, um, and then spread that uh, through fellowship with other uh, faithful Jewish people. Um, about A.D. 49, um, the emperor of Rome expelled all Jewish people. Um, and they were expelled from Rome from A.D. 49 until about A.D. 54. Um, and so Gent the Gentile house churches would have been able to continue on um, during this t expulsion time of the Jewish people. Um, but... So the Jewish people were gone and then came back. And it's believed that it's during that time when the Jewish people were expelled um, from Rome that 
some of the um, Jewish flavor of this of the new Christ followers and their um, gatherings um, maybe dissipated some. And it's important for us to, to note that because by the time Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Rome, it is known that although um, these churches are happening at the same time, they are definitely distinct. And um, in our study last semester, we could see clearly that Paul takes time to speak to Gentile believers, and then he takes time to speak to Jewish believers. And there was definitely um, somewhat of a split, if not a split, uh, definitely tension um, or some aggravation between these two groups of Christ followers. And so part of Romans is Paul reminding all of the believers in Rome, whether Jew or Gentile, um, that they are all part of one body, not two separate bodies, um, that they have become one family, not two separate groups. Um, so a couple themes that we have been following in our study of Romans, um, there are more than just two, but we have chosen to kind of focus on two themes through our study of Romans. Um, the first is salvation is through Jesus alone. There is no one else, nothing else that can give us salvation and eternal relationship with the one true God. Um, we can't work for our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. There is nothing and no one that can offer us salvation and eternal relationship with the one true God except Jesus Christ. The second theme that we are following is that grace revealed in Jesus calls me to live differently. And that particular theme is um, unpacked specifically in the latter half of Romans, but we've already started seeing that unpacked along with the first theme that I mentioned, but we've already started seeing the second one unpacked as well as Paul is pointing out the fact that these two separate groups are to live as one group. And he is challenging the believers in Rome that they need to live differently as a result of experiencing this grace um, through the Lord Jesus. Finally, before I get into um, the chapter-by-chapter -chapter review, um, I just wanted to remind you of the structure of Romans that we have um, been following. So the first five chapters, Romans 1 through 5, really begin to answer the question, what is grace? What is grace? Um, Paul unpacks that pretty significantly. Um, and some, he uses some difficult words, um, which we have tried to define, and we will continue to do that. Um, he uses some difficult um, analogies, and so we are trying to unpack those as well. But basically, the first five chapters, Paul is answering the question, what is grace? Secondly, chapters 6 through 11... The question is answered, how does grace change me? So if, we've, if we have begun to understand what grace is, the next part is, how does that grace change me? 
And then the third part is, Romans 12 through 16, how should grace shape the way I live? So if I know what grace is, and now I know what it does for me and how it's changed me, my life and how I live needs to be changed. And so that's the third section, how should grace shape the way I live? Um, and I mentioned this way back early in the fall, but to me, in the way that I think, I feel like those three sections of Romans really kind of go along with our three sections of homework. What does the text say? What does the text mean? And what does the text mean to me? Um, so we are deep in right now in our study, we're deep into the middle section of Romans, how should grace change me? And like I said, we'll pick up Romans 7 um, next week. But in order to remind us and set us up for digging back into that, we'll, we'll go on and we'll, we'll look at um, just brief summaries of each of the chapters. So um, if you remember, Christine taught chapter 1, and Paul begins his letter by introducing himself and sharing the purpose of his letter. Um, and if you recall, Christine talked about the good news and the bad news that Paul shares in this opening to Romans. He is not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. That's the good news. And then he quickly moves right into the thrust of the matter. We all need rescue because the bad news is we're all sinners. Not one of us isn't a sinner. Let me read Romans 1, starting in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That's not very fun. <laughs> and this part of Romans, these first uh, six chapters, maybe particularly the first three chapters, they are hard chapters. This is hard news for us to digest, and it can feel overwhelming, and it can feel discouraging. But take heart, because Jesus has overcome the world, and he is already victorious, and he has provided a way for us to have um, redemption and salvation and hope. In Romans 2, both Kristen and I took a part of Romans 2, and Paul makes it clear in this section that both the Gentiles and the Jews will be judged by the only righteous judge. Let me read Romans 2, starting in verse 2, and then I'll read a few more verses after that. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is com coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. But God does not show 
favoritism. So like I said, um, Jew and Gentile, all of us will be judged by the one righteous judge. In the second half of the chapter, Paul contrasts circumcision versus uncircumcision and identifies that true circumcision is circumcision or transformation of the heart. God's righteousness and faithfulness are unwavering even in the face of my unfaithfulness. And that is our hope um, that he is always, and, and we can be sure and certain of this, that he is always faithful, he is always righteous, he is always good. And because of that, we have hope. It is not at all dependent on us. In chapter 3, um, Christine unpacks this, um, this passage for us, and Paul begins to point toward one of the pillars of our Christian faith, faith, the word justification, which admittedly, this is one of those words that can be a little bit confusing. Um, but we see the word justified several times as Paul builds the argument that all sinners are in fact in need of someone else to pay the penalty. Look with me at Romans 3 verse 10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. And then in verse 23 again, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So are you getting it yet? Are you, are you hearing that there's no, we can't get away from it. Paul says it over and over again. We are all sinners and I think it's actually right for us to feel that weight because it is a serious matter. In fact, this is a life and death, eternal life and death matter. If we don't get this, then all of the information about Jesus being our Savior, all of the information about Jesus being the one who provides salvation for us really doesn't, it, it doesn't carry the weight that that needs to carry until we recognize that, yes, truly, I am a sinner, and I am headed to eternal separation from the one true God if I do not recognize that the Lord Jesus is the only way to salvation. So Paul does not mince his words. Um, he then sets up, let me make sure that I didn't turn the wrong page. Yes. He then sets up the charges that we are sinners, and he explains the verdict against us, each one of us as sinners. But the great thing is, listen to, listen to this verse, starting in verse 24. In the ESV it says, but now. In the NLT it says, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. Because of Jesus' righteousness, my record is is wiped clean. This gift is based on his righteousness 
And if we accept and acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way that God offers for us to have eternal relationship with him, then our record is also wiped clean. It is expunged. And um, in spite of us being convicted and rightly sentenced to eternal condemnation, we are given the Lord Jesus' record of righteousness before the righteous judge. And our records are completely clear. And so that word justified, we can, we can remember what it means with a little phrase, just as if I'd never sinned. I stand in front of God just as if I'd never sinned because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and, and allowing me to have his record on mine instead of my record of sin. It truly is remarkable. Moving on to Romans 4, um, we're given a financial analogy, um, and Kristen, just as there was the legal analogy, analogy in Romans 3. Um, We now move on to a financial analogy, and Kristen unpacks this for us. Um, And this is where there were several words used in this particular section of Romans that people in the financial world, particularly in the accounting world, would recognize these words um, that Paul uses. And um, we need to recall that Um, In Romans 4, Paul has a case study that he uses. It is, um, he uses Abraham, um, the father of the Hebrew nation. And and he points out, Paul points out that it's Abraham's belief or faith that actually is counted to him as righteousness. And this happens before he did anything, even circumcision. Um, Circumcision happened after um, it is recorded that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, So Paul uses this particular case study to point out that it was Abraham's trust in God's promise um, that actually um, affected his standing with God rather than anything that Abraham did as a result of the promise. It was purely trust, faith, belief, whichever word you'd like to use, um, in God's promise that um, put him in right right standing with with God. Um, Let me read Romans 3, I'm, I'm sorry, 4, verses 3 to 5. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And if you, uh, you might recall that Kristen talked about how it's not actually faith that saves us. We, it's God who saves us, right? And so the, um, the important variable there is that God does the saving. We are just trusting that God does the saving rather than us even um, being able to say that we've earned something because we had the faith. 
um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a really good passage to help us remember that it's not us um, that is even able to produce the faith. Faith is even a gift to us, um, and it is God who does the saving. So in Romans 5, um, uh, Paul unpacks further what can be expected for those who have been justified and reminds us of the basis, again, Paul doesn't want to let us off the hook or let us forget that the basis of our justification um, is the Lord Jesus. Um, remember that justified means um, I stand before God just as if I'd never um, sinned because of what Jesus did through his life, death, and his resurrection, taking on the penalty that I rightly deserve. Let me read Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And then verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Um, we have um, been given not only in, in our um, salvation through the Lord Jesus, we have been given eternal relationship with the one true God, but he has also given us promises to experience here and now. And, and um, some of those can be um, seen right in verses 3 through 5. Um, and let's just, I don't want to skip over this because I think sometimes we can, um, in this particular conversation, we can be so focused on our eternal salvation, which obviously is of our ultimate importance, um, that we forget that the Holy Spirit is with us now to provide um, the uh, stamina and the perseverance and the support so that we can continue to walk out faithfully this work and this transformation that has been done in us. So let's look at verses 3 um, through 5. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So not only are our souls... Um, eternally secure in the salvation that the Lord Jesus has given us. He, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and he is the one that motivates us and compels us to um, continue to persevere, fall down but get back up, slide back but move forward, um, stumble but not be uh, condemned, to continue keeping our eyes focused on um, the Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and the Holy Spirit is the one that in us, he enables us to uh, continue to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus. Um, so Christine and Kristen both taught us from chapter 6, um, and Paul's next thoughts in this, in this particular part of Romans begin to unpack another sometimes difficult to understand Christian element, that of sanctification. Exactly what I was just talking about, how the Holy Spirit continues to compel and propel us 
um, to live faithfully. That is sanctification. Um, it means that our lives are under new management. You might remember Christine talking about that. And that there is a change in behavior and attitudes and thoughts that begins to happen as we grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Um, we need to remember, and, and I think this is made pretty clear in Romans 6, um, that whoever we follow determines the path um, that we take and our destination. Um, sanctification can be described this way. It is a step-by-step, layer-by-layer process by which we learn to behave like children of God rather than children of death. I believe Kristen is the one that shared that with us. Let me say that again. Sanctification is a step-by-step, layer-by-layer process by which we learn to behave like children of God rather than children of death. Justification is a one-time event. We recognize one time that the Lord Jesus, for all of our days and all of eternity, has made us righteous before the one true God. Sanctification carries on for the rest of our lives. Let me read just a couple verses um, at the end of Romans 6. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in, in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Finally, Jenna Borelli and Laura Wilkerson reminded us that soul transformation leads to action. So we can't just take up all of this information that we've studied. We can't um, just be um, sit in the fact that we're all sinners, but praise the Lord, the Lord Jesus has given us new life and eternal life. Um, that understanding must do a transformation of our heart. And one of the ways we can know that transformation has happened is because the attitudes change, but we are also moved to action to serve the people around us, to love them as Jesus loved them, to um, serve the outcast and the marginalized, to care for the widow and the orphan. Um, these are things that are necessary um, almost involuntary responses to the joy of knowing that I stand justified before the one true God. Um, knowing that um, my eternal state is secure in the Lord Jesus um, almost involuntarily motivates me to love the way that the Lord Jesus loved. And how did he love? He loved sacrificially. He loved um, um, those who others didn't see. He sought out the people who others um, wanted to cast out. Um, and he sought to love well. Um, even when he was maligned, he sought to love well, even when he was mistreated or um, wrongly accused. Jesus loved well. And that is what our call is um, as we um, 
ingest and digest this understanding that the Lord Jesus is the one true God come in flesh to give us um, the opportunity for a relationship with him. I can't help but want to live the way he lived, and that is by loving others uh, the way he loved. So I just want to challenge us as we um, go into this next part of Romans, um, and as we um, kind of put, set our hearts and minds uh, resolutely to study this part of Scripture, I want to um, challenge us to invite the Holy Spirit, ask him to, um, to guard your time so that you can, um, in fact, sit and study and meditate on his word. Um, invite the Holy Spirit to um, give you the stamina and invite the Holy Spirit to give you the appetite for his word. Um, ask him to make you ravenous for his word and for him. And that is a prayer, ladies, that we can pray every day and know without a doubt that the Lord Jesus will answer that prayer because it is fully in line with his will. Um, he wants you to want him, and he wants to provide that desire for you. Um, so invite the Holy Spirit uh, to do that good work in you. Um, next week, and for a month or so after that, we'll be in that middle section of Romans that how does grace change me? And then we'll finish out the study um, later in the spring with the how should I live as a result of this grace changing me. Um, invite the Holy Spirit to draw you in to his good work um, and the work that he continues to do um, through all believers, all time, um, until we all get to see him face to face. Let me pray. Father, I'm just so grateful again to be with these women and to link arms and to set our hearts and minds on you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for um, coming and being the propitiation for our sins that we might have true fellowship with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us and for compelling us, um, for allowing us to resolutely set our hearts on following you. I ask, Father, for all of these women, for myself, that you would um, fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power so that your name might be glorified in us and us in you according to your grace and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.